What's up, guys? We are launching another episode of the Tampa Bay Real Producers podcast, and this is once again the podcast done uh, for real producers, by real producers, and of course, interviewing real producers. And we have one here today, Mr. Mike Constantine from Remax. How you doing, brother? Good, man. How the hell you doing? Life is good, my man. Life is really good. Yes, uh, it is. We literally just got done. Uh, I'm going to be a guest on Mike's podcast, and now we are flipping the script, and Mike is going to be a guest on our podcast. So. <laughs> So it's I kind of weird, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> it is kind of fun. I kind of like the way this this worked out. So uh, we have a little bit of a different studio today. We're hanging out in Pasco County, uh, different than our normal venues. But follow, you know, we're all about Tampa Bay, baby. Wherever there's a podcast studio in Tampa Bay, I'm sure we'll shoot an episode somewhere, someplace, right? So we're here today yep. with Mike Constantine, and uh, today we're going to focus in on obviously Mike's story learn a little bit more about how he became a top producer, which he's been every year that we've had this platform. We've featured Mike in more than one issue, if I remember correctly. I know we had a, a big spotlight on you over, what was it, a year and a half ago? Maybe even two years ago now? Somewhere around there. Uh, about Fun photo shoot, by the way. Yeah, I'm we had like sure a it was. Crowd. It was awesome. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that as well. But yeah. why don't we start with just your background, You know um, how you got yourself into Tampa, whether you were brought up here, came here for a different reason. I know you served as well. So let's talk a little bit about that and and what that might have taught you. Uh, Let's start there. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me on your show. My pleasure. Right after my show. Um, But uh, I grew up in Florida. I'm a Florida cracker. I grew up in South Florida, down in uh, Broward, a little bit of Dade County, and um, uh, went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, which is kind of the infamous high school. I was the second graduating class ever from, from that school. And, uh, then from there I went into the Marine Corps. So, uh, I planned on being a, a lifelong Marine. I got injured in my sixth year. Mm. Uh, this shoulder right here is basically bionic. I've had surgeries on basically every part of this arm. It still looks good and, though, bro. Uh, You're all cut up. And I'm ripped. trying, man. I'm trying. I'm holding on for my, my Al Bundy high school letter <laughs> still, you know? Um, so, you know, after the Marine Corps couldn't make a career out of it, uh, once I got injured, it was just, you know, something I couldn't do the pull-ups and stuff anymore for, for quite a while. Uh, now I can. Um, but I got into the world of, um, selling furniture to celebrities of all things. Interesting. So I was working at a place called Carl's furniture off of a one a down in Boca Raton. Okay. My uncle had worked there and he's like, Hey, you need a job. You just got out of the Marines. I'm like, yeah, sure. What the hell? Let's go have some fun. Yeah. So I had clients like Anna Kornikova, Jimmy Johnson, Don King. Wow. Don King was awesome. Drew, he came up in a, in a green Rolls Royce. Right. He had a building right off A1A said only or he would have a green Rolls Royce, wouldn't he? It was he was with dollar signs down the paint is what I'm imagining. But it was was, (laughs) he was he was actually one of the nicer ones that came in because there were some that I I won't talk about that were not so nice. But I got into that, um, did really, really well, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, and so I went ahead and I got a call one day from a buddy of mine from high school that was also in the Marines. And he said, you've got to meet my girlfriend. So I drove down to uh, Miami Beach hung out and she recruited me into the world of mortgage and finance. Okay. So I ended up working for HSBC international, um, worked for them from 2002 through 2000, I believe it was six or seven. Okay. And they had like 30,000 mortgage originators. And I very rapidly became, I was the number 17 in the entire company. Nice. And so I was like, all right, cool. I love mortgage. I love finance. And then the economic crash came. Yep. So HSBC shut down U.S. operations, and um, I came to Tampa through HSBC, uh, through their management program. They wanted me to come to Tampa, manage their branch in Port Ritchie. My father had already lived in Palm Harbor, so I was like, all right, cool. Let's go to Tampa. It's a change of pace. I'm 
kind of done with South Florida anyway. Yeah. And uh, from there, when HSBC shut down, I got a call from uh, Fifth Third Bank, worked for them. And then JP Morgan Chase came calling saying, hey, we're opening up all of our branches through Naples through Brooksville. We want you to be part of our new build team. Okay. So I ended up opening up branches, literally driving every day, going Fort Myers, Naples, whatever. And we would just throw these great parties and have a good time. And then I would have to train what's known as the platform staff, which is going to be your investment advisors, uh, your tellers, your branch managers, your you know assistant managers, things like that to do yeah. what's called working the lobby in the banking industry. Didn't really care for that. Uh, banking is banking, and and some people are really really good at it. I'm not cut out for conference calls. Right. Um, I'm one of those people that just calls a spade a spade, and we'd be on conference calls, and then I'd get a call from HR like, Mike, you need to be nicer and kinder to people. I'm like, no, <laughs> the guy's an idiot. He's talking about stuff that we won't even be talking about at 7:30 in the morning. A little like, different than the Marine culture, I think. Slightly, yeah, slightly. A little yeah. different. Um, my 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 military side came out a little bit, and so then um, you know once that happened, I just love real estate. Um, you know, I, I really, really loved real estate, you know, in my senior year of high school, I was homeless for a short period of time. And so for me, putting a roof over someone's head means more to me than probably most others that sure. haven't experienced that. And, uh, uh, so I got into real estate and then just from there took off, you know, so did you get licensed and start dabbling in real estate while you were still in the banking industry? Or did you already like quit cold Turkey and said, I'm out of here, put all my chips on the table, right? From, I'm not right I, from day one. I'm not a person that does, I don't want to half-ass anything that I do in life. Yeah. So for me, it was all or nothing, which was really terrifying. You know, fortunately in the mortgage and, and, and banking industry, I had built up, you know, a little bit of a nest egg and had, you know, my wife and, and my two kids at home and they were very, very young at the time. And uh, it was scary. Yeah. You know, I didn't get a paycheck for eight months. Yeah. You know, it was literally just pulling from savings, saving savings, pulling from 401k when the savings ran out. Yeah. And, uh, and then once I made that first sale, you know, which, uh, ironically enough is to a guy that actually works on my team now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he's awesome family. And, 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 uh, they gave me an opportunity. They're like, look, we know that, you know, your stuff. And I, I let him know. I'm like, Hey, I, this is my literally my first deal. So I'm going to be consulting with other people to make sure that everything is correct. Yeah. And, and that's how I learned just by that's awesome sweat equity. I knocked on every single door. I want to say in Trinity when it first started, yep. uh, there was only like four neighborhoods built back then mm -hmm. and knocked on every door and just was said champions hey. club. One of them yet. You couldn't get in there because they were all gated, right? It, it was one, but they were all gated. Gotcha. And so for me, I'm a blue collar guy. So yep. I went to all like the blue collar neighborhoods, which was uh, thousand Oaks, thousand Oaks East, Foxwood, thousand Oaks, multifamily. Yep. I went to all of them. And I just eventually Ballantrae, well, that Ballantrae's Land O'Lakes. Yeah, that's but, more Land O'Lakes. Yeah. That's more Land O'Lakes. Trinity was mostly, it was more cow land, like yeah. pasture land, yeah. than it was uh, real estate at that point. And now it's just developed to the nines. Yeah, man. You know, that's cool. So, so what was it about real estate that was appealing to you that made you want to get out of the banking industry and jump right into it? Freedom. Yeah. Plain and simply the freedom to, to go ahead. Spoken like a Marine, huh? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a real patriotic guy, real patriotic <laughs> guy. Um, but the freedom to set your own schedule. Um, the one thing I didn't like about mortgage and banking was, and I won't say which bank it was with, but I made a bank $17 million one year mm -hmm. on their balance sheet. They brought me into an underperforming center after all the new builds were done. They said, we want you to be a branch manager. I said, okay, great. You know, it was kind of a step down, but I said, no problem. Cause I really wanted to be a corporate trainer. Right. Cause I really enjoy teaching and I really enjoy like public speaking. Yeah. And they put me in charge of a branch that really nobody else wanted. It was in a horrible location. 
couldn't really work the network because there weren't that many businesses and, and banking is built on personal accounts, consumer accounts, and then also on corporate accounts through small business. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really that many small business that you could go to because they were all struggling in the area that they put me at. Okay. So I then sat back and I had the little Dr. Seuss moment where the light bulb goes on. I said, I'm going to call my Rolodex from, uh, I said Rolodex, sorry. That's, cell phones. That's old school, baby. Yeah, it is old school. <laughs> uh, so uh, I started going through my network and I went ahead and, and I just called anybody that I managed their, their banking accounts or they were, you know, doing investments with the different banks I was with. And I said, Hey, I said, um, you know, I want to go ahead and, and, uh, invite you into my center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, or I want to come and visit your business. Yeah. And I want to show you what I can do and how I can do it because we had a little bit of flexibility with numbers in there. Sure. You know, and so once, once we built that balance sheet up about 17 million, which was a little over doubling the balance sheet in one year. Yeah. Um, I sat back and I looked and I'm like, wow, I'm still making the same base salary. It's funny how that works. Huh? The, it's the bonus, the structure. employee lifestyle. Yeah. All right. And I, and I maxed out the bonus structure, but you're not in charge of the bonus structure. Right. There's somebody that's up there that's going, ah, you know, there's 10 key metrics. And even though you doubled the balance sheet, you know, the, this one metric here, you were only an eight out of 10. So we're going to cut that bonus back a little bit. And I sat back and I'm like, wow, you just made $17 million in accounts receivables for me. Right. You're, and you're, I get you're going to nickel nothing. and dime me over a couple for whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit my entire life. Yep. And, and that, and real estate was literally the, the catalyst that got me to wake up because since then I've owned, you know, restaurants, I've been partners in uh, growing and scaling a number of different businesses. I think I'm involved with four right now outside mm-hmm. of real estate. Nice. Um, they don't affect my day to day in real estate, yep. but I know how to grow and scale businesses at this point. It's it, to me, it's, it's not that hard. Yeah. You know, I love that getting out of your own way kind of thing. So I have an interest in doing similar. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I would say it keeps life exciting. It does. Yeah. You know, if you ride business the same is bicycle, a game, man, it's a game, right? Yeah. As long as you have the right pieces in place, then you can win the game. It's really how, how it shakes out. So you mentioned Plain earlier simple. that it took you eight months to get your first deal. Yeah. So that, um, you mentioned how challenging that must've been emotionally. And obviously there's the fear component of just the financial side of that. I loved it. And so you did, I wonder if your wife did, (laughs) did she feel the same way? So I have an incredibly supportive wife. Um, I, I, I have one of those like hallmark stories where the second I laid eyes on my wife, I had four girlfriends at the time I was in the Marine Corps. She knows this and she is well aware of it, but I looked at her, she got out of a car and I'm like, that's the woman I'm going to marry. That's cool. And then when she, when I actually spoke to her and I realized that she she is just the sweetest person ever. She made me a better person and I made her a stronger person. Yeah. Um, and, and together, I mean, we're on 25 years together now, two kids. That's awesome. But she was so I met supportive. your wife at our Stars and Stripes Gala. Way out of my league, by the way, right? Yeah, absolutely. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but she was a sweetheart. I remember talking with her and she was very um, grateful because I think we had like a big poster board of you at that particular event because you- Yeah, I took you, it. I know you did. Well, I think we gave <laughs> it, it to you. Or it, we were going to give it to you if you didn't take it. It was going home with me yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah, regardless. But I, I believe we had just featured you on our cover, like right. maybe the issue or two before. And um, and then I know you guys came in together and she was like, you know, grateful that she saw like that huge poster board of you right there by the registration desk. And then we ended up connecting about how you guys met and all that kind of stuff. So you definitely uh, you definitely, uh, you know, outkicked your coverage on that one, Mike. No doubt. A hundred percent. She she supported me in ways that I can never repay her for. Um, Never bothered me about not bringing in paychecks, stuff like that. I mean, it was just incredibly supportive. Every single day we used to go to the same gym. 
um, which that gym doesn't exist anymore. But every day we'd work out, I would take a shower at the gym and I would set up a booth. And for eight months I did that mm. every single day. Yep. And all I did was this is back when like market analysis were not the big thing. I would just talk to people and say, Hey, look, I'm a local realtor. You're not obligated to anything. Let me just give you a market analysis. It right. was helping me by getting better at using the MLS and yep. learning how to pull comps and then pulling them from other, you know, uh, systems that are not MLS related to really get granular on the comps. And it helped me to hone my craft so my listing presentations wouldn't be awkward yeah. because that's one of the hardest things for a new agent is when they walk in and they just fumble through. Yeah. You know, and I coach some people are horrible at their presentation skills and don't get a chance to practice it enough and don't have systems built for them to help them practice it and get good at it. Right. Um, it's interesting, though. I think a lot of people who get into real estate get their first couple of deals anyway from friends and family. Right. Mm -hmm. Whoever they know just to get the traction going, get it flowing. You not being from this area from I know you said you had your dad living in Palm Harbor, I guess, yeah. at the time. But um, it doesn't sound like you had that going for you in terms of like the friends and family connections and network. You had to really get it going the old fashioned way. Right. And build and build it up and get some momentum going. Uh, when you think about that now, like if you it might have been the strategy you just shared. Is that how you eventually got your first deal to somebody through that booth? Or that's how I got basically all my deals for my first couple of years because I didn't have friends. I didn't have a tremendous amount of family that were up here. Um I had a really, really good support system through a lot of businesses that that had faith and trust in me. Yep. And so they would allow me to set up booths. There's like a local restaurant uh, that's in Trinity uh, called Christo's. Yep. And, and Christo's is like the hub of Trinity. Uh, Theo that's, that's there is like the mayor of Trinity. And so we would just go there for breakfast like every single Sunday. Mm. And then one day I just asked, do you mind if I set up a booth right here? Because the owner of the gym is right over there and he let me set up a booth. Yep. And I did that. And then... Everybody got to know me because they always saw my face wherever I was at the most popular gym in town. And then I was at the most popular restaurant in town. Yep. And then I would go to to do things that others just I don't know if, if it makes them uncomfortable. It probably does. I don't have that issue. You know, I heard no plenty of times in my life and the word no doesn't scare me. Yeah. Um, but I would just go into uh, other businesses, mechanic shops, chiropractors um, didn't matter. Right. And say, hey, do you mind if I put my business cards here yep. or if I put a flyer? And most what's, of them are like, what's yeah, great is care. that you, you focused in on your area, right? Trinity seemed to be your bread and butter. That's where you were mm -hmm. really, you know, building your roots in. And it's obviously paid off, you know, over the years now, how you've been able to build a brand in this area, which I want to dive into a little bit as far sure. as that brand itself. I would say in many ways, Mike, you're known now as being like this great video guy, right? You, you've, you've built out this funny series of videos where you have put yourself out there. You're not afraid to make fun of yourself. Um, people really respond and, and they're very engaging videos. If you guys aren't familiar with them, just follow Mike Constantine. You're in for an interesting and a very, I would say, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> entertaining. Entertaining is a good one. Entertaining yeah. follow. Uh, and and they, re they really are quality videos. So did that idea generate, like what brought you there? I guess is the first question. Like what got you to that space where you were like, you know, this is going to be a, my way of really differentiating myself where there's something else prior to that, that was also working for you before you got into it. Uh, how did that, yeah. how did that all, you know, happen? My wife is a, was, she still is a TikTok maniac. She's hilarious on TikTok, and she had a really big following. My aha moment was when, when I joined a, a local Remax office in Trinity the owner of the brokerage at the time said, you've got to do what your wife is doing. And I, I look, 
I've got a cartoon image because this mug is not going to compete with some of the, <laughs> you know, the good looking people that are on billboards and sure. things like that. So I was like, okay, you know, I don't want to do that, you know? So, but I'm also not scared of getting on stage at like karaoke night or, or just having fun in general. I always kind of joke around and I'm very lighthearted. And so, you know, I was talking with my wife one day and she's like, why don't you just try it? She goes, just try it. Mm-hmm. And so I called up um, jail video, uh, which is Jordan Long. And I have a really creative mind. And all of my stuff I wrote myself. Nice. I did the, I did the, the uh, everything but, but filming it. Mm-hmm. I wrote the script. I kind of directed it on how I wanted it to go. And we filmed five videos in one day. Okay. And the most famous one is my Forrest Gump one. Right. Um, I've gotten calls, I think, from eight different countries now, from agents. And the best thing about video is... People connect and they love humor. Yeah. I get referrals to this day from people from Ecuador and and uh, United Kingdom. And I, I walked awesome. in, um, I knew it hit. I knew the videos hit when we were traveling into Montana. And we checked in to this hotel at the west entrance of Yellowstone on the, Ye- on the, the Montana-Idaho border. And it's 1130 at night. And the guy behind the desk goes, you're the Forrest Gump realtor. <laughs> and I sat there. I'm like, what the, how did you know that? He goes, my dad lives in Tarpon Springs and shared the video with me. That's awesome. And I sat back. I'm like, now I know yeah. video is, is how I need to go. And I've done different types how of video. How long ago was that? Forrest Gump was six years ago. Okay. Six, seven years ago. Now, um, did it take you a while to get traction with followers and the things that you need to make video, you know, highly effective? Mm-hmm. Did you see that happen pretty quickly or was it really that consistency before you got to that, that level of awareness? So I don't care about followers. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people like that kind of stuff. To me, it doesn't, I look at the number of views. Sure. Okay. So the way that I judge video content and, and I am a Facebook stalker, so I will look at other realtors and, and I see like when they first start out, they have 200 likes or whatever, 150 and then the more that they keep doing the same thing over and over and over, right. it goes down to like seven, 10. People get disinterested. Yep. You've got to stay sharp. You've got to stay being yourself and or providing good content for them in whatever medium that that is. Yep. So for me, you know, I've got my, my Spotify for my podcast, my YouTube channel, uh, my Instagram. I don't ever ask people to subscribe, mm-hmm. but I'll see because sometimes I'll be on the wrong path if I film a video and I'm like, wow, that one only got 50 or 60, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got one that's got over 33,000 views that's on it right now. Um, but I'll figure out what's working at the time because if you keep doing the same thing over and over, people get bored of it, regardless if it's funny yeah. or whatever it is. So I look at how much how much traction that that video is getting through likes, shares, comments, private messages, and I would track all that stuff. Yep. And then which video gets me referrals? You know, and if people call me for a listing appointment, say, hey, I saw your video. Really? Which one? Oh, yeah, I love that one. Mm. You know, and it's lately it's been some of the singing ones that I do. Yeah. Where my wife, she literally holds a microphone in the shower. <laughs> so the acoustics are good. Yeah. And I'm like, great. Now I need to go film another. Is she still video. a TikTok star, your wife? She does a lot more Instagram now okay. um, with the whole TikTok stuff that's going on kind of yeah. gotten away from that. Um, but she had a tremendous following at one point. I mean, unbelievable following. It's uh, nice with, to have her. that expertise there in the family, I guess, right? To be able to kind of show you where you're going off the rails. I'm not techie. If it wasn't for her, I couldn't film any of these videos, you right. know, um, because she films them on her cell phone. And they come out just as good quality as a professional production company because these phones are insane. And she knows how to use every gadget that's on them. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have her.
That's cool, man. So that's now with your business today, I'm curious, like what percentage of your business would you say in some way has come as a spinoff of what you've done in this video creation world Mm -hmm. compared to just traditional build referrals, work the the nuts and bolts as far as a real estate strategy. Um, how do you think that's all come together? How would you how would you analyze that? The only way that I can really quantify that is I don't pay for leads anymore. Yep. My first three, four years in the business, I was paying the you know, the big website companies to give leads. Mm-hmm. I don't pay for anything anymore and my volume is still high. Yep. And and so video allowed me to do that. And for me it's it's basically free. It's nothing more than time and creativity. And the more content that I put out that's different. And and so I think any content is good content because some people are limited in what they know digitally and they may not have the resource that I have in my wife. And I have to understand and appreciate that. Um, What I would recommend to any agent is just be different, be yourself. Right. Because so many agents literally walk through a house and go, Oh, there's a door. There's a window. Oh, look, Hey, we're having an open house. It's amazing. It's bright outside. We're in Florida. Great. So is every other 500 agents running an open house that day. Do it differently. Do it with a little bit of spice to it. Even if it's something off the wall, yep. embrace it, you know, have fun, just make it, you know, make it entertaining. So people are going to want to continue watching your stuff no doubt. without making it repetitive. Um, same thing. With, the, I think the key is you have found a way to make it fun though for yourself as well. Like it seems like to me when I've seen the ones you, you're, it's obvious to me, you're enjoying yourself, right? You're, I you're, love it. you're having fun. You're, you're yeah. out there building your brand, you're marketing, but at the same time, you're enjoying your business and, and having that coming through, I think is what people get connected to as well, because it's genuine, you know, and it's authentic. Most of my, uh, movie remakes kind of videos that I did, my clients asked to be a part of those. Yeah. And I still get those today saying, Hey, if you list my house, I want you to do a music video, or I want you to do, you know, a, a movie or a, a comedic skit or something. Sure. No problem. You want to be a part of it? Do your kids want to be a part of it? <laughs> I had, um, uh, the guy from Christos, his house, his kids wanted to be in the video uh-huh. done. It was hard to write a script that was like, you know, yeah. for, with kids and everything, yeah. but it was amazing. Cause his kids were so good at it. That's they were, cool. they were natural actors and it was, it was absolutely, the outtakes were hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was great. You know? So for me, like I embrace that when people want to be a part of my process. The other thing that I embrace is, is when, um, I get calls, especially after I filmed my first five, because mm. the first five were just like off the charts. Fantastic. You know, and I'm not saying it to toot my own horn. It's because JL set um, a high standard that you had to keep, uh, match I did. then, huh? Yeah. yeah. It's not hard. I'm only five, eight high standard really ain't that tall <laughs> for me. Um, but uh, JL did such a great job in helping me with, with those first five videos that it's hard to continue down that path. Yeah. So I constantly had to evolve and do different things. Um, but to me, it's just being who you are. Mm-hmm. Allow people to see your personality because people want to do business with people that they like for the most part. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. They're not mine. Yeah. You know, I wrote an article about it for a local paper not too long ago saying how to choose the right agent. Are you looking for personality? Are you looking for experience? We, I could have all the experience in the world, but personality wise, we may not be the right fit. Right. I'm a very direct person. You know, I'm never going to sit here and sugarcoat something for you on an inspection report or, you know, going over comps. I mean, I find that too many agents, when they go in, they're very robotic in mm-hmm. what they do. Mm-hmm. Add some personality. Gotta be Showcase yourself. your talent. Correct. Yeah. 
And so if you want to hear more, by the way, about Mike's strategies, you're going to be a panelist, I believe, next month on our social media mastery uh, panel, which will be at Whiskey Cake. Um, I forget the date, but it's the third Thursday in May that uh, Mike will be there. So from 930 to 12, I'm sure we'll be promoting it on on Facebook and everywhere else. So um, it'll be interesting to dive more into some of your strategies. But I think hearing what you did here, that part of the story, we may or may not even get to that, you know, during the panel next month. So that was cool. I was also curious about your experience in the Marines. Was there anything specific? I'm sure there's probably many things you can think of that you took from that that you feel like has played a role in how you've built your real estate business. Yeah. Persistence. Okay. You know, um, the Marine Corps will instill in you what you want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of guys that go in there and they just want to do four years and get out and they're, they're just done with it. You know, they're doing it. They almost think of it as like a sentence. It's just weird. You know, my grandpappy was in it, so I got to do it and, right. and whatever. Um, for me, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I was just one of those sick individuals. Like boot camp was so much fun for me, <laughs> you know. And and even my drill instructor would say Isn't that is, what they call Hell Week. Hell Week is more uh, Navy SEAL training. Okay. That's buds. That's okay. buds. But Marine Corps every week is Hell Week. Got you. You know they actually say the average Marine can can get through the buds training for SEALs. The differentiator is that the average Navy SEAL is basically the IQ of a Harvard or MIT grad. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Marines generally don't qualify. <laughs> you know we're too busy eating crayons and stuff. But. Um, but yeah, no, the, the Marine Corps for me was what I needed at the time. Like I mentioned, you know, my, my last six months of, of uh, uh, high school, you know, I was homeless. Uh, I wasn't homeless the entire six months. I was homeless for, for a short period of that time. And then my high school coach took me in mm. and he said, hey, you're going to live with me because I went from 192 pounds and then I was 146 when I graduated because I just wasn't eating. I didn't have anything. Yeah. Um, and so, so going in the Marine Corps, I had to put a roof over my head, food in my belly. And how old were you? 18? You I was 18. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was 18 years old because I, I I turned 18 on December 8th. Yeah. Um, and then that's, you know, parents went their separate ways and then it just didn't turn out real well. Yeah. Um, my brother and sister had already graduated and it was just, it was what it was. Best thing ever happened to me. Yeah. Because it lit that fire for motivation. Mm. You know, for me, my internal flame is just, that's my motivation. You know, to be the best husband I can be, the best father I can be, the best realtor I can be. And I'm a I'm hundred miles an hour or nothing. I guess after you've gone through Marines training and you served for how long? Six years. I got injured five and a half years in. Um, yeah, I got injured five and a half years in. And then uh, I wasn't going to let a military surgeon, no offense to all the military surgeons, but um, I wasn't going to let them cut on my shoulder because it was, it was substantially damaged. The bones were gone. Mm. The muscles were torn off. Every tendon you could tear was torn. My elbow was jacked up. And so I was basically like this. So you can't pass what's called the PFT, the physical fitness test. Yeah. So I could do the sit-ups. I could do the run. Um, I was running like 18 minute, 30 second, three miles, which is pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, I just couldn't do the pull-ups because I couldn't get my arm over my head. So they said, you know, either you get surgery. And then uh, I had a major that wanted me to go on what's called MSG duty, Marine Security Guard, where you go to the embassies around the world. And I was going to be in, I think my first one was going to be in Djibouti, Africa. And then I was going to go to Brussels after that is what he was telling me. But he goes, you got to get the surgery and you got to go to Tripler Army Medical Center in Hawaii. Well, Tripler has a nickname of Crippler because (laughs) plenty of guys go in there to get their shoulder done and then their arm is cut off when they come out. (laughs) Wow. Good old VA care. Yeah. So So you you were there about six years. You said, did you ever see combat? No, actually, I got discharged uh, July of 2000 and yeah, July of 2001. Got and it. then I got my surgery immediately after that when I got wow. out and then September 11th happened. Wow. So I took my, you know, my, my cast, not the cast, they had a sling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went in to the recruiter's office. I said, I want to go back in. I said, I just got separated, Yeah. you know, four months ago, three months ago, whatever it is. And they said, 
your medical records prevent you from doing that. You can't shoot a weapon. I said, give me an M16A2 right now, mm-hmm. and I will gladly show you that I can shoot it. No problem. They had mandatory wait times for surgical procedures, and so I couldn't get back in. Not to mention I couldn't do pull-ups at that point anyway because I, it was still healing. It was really bad. It took 18 months for me to rehab it. Yeah. I still would have gone in and found a way to get it done. Um, oh, so you were, you were, your intent was to get back in. You really wanted to after 9-11, huh? I wanted to go and serve in combat with my, my brothers and sisters that were in my unit. I can um, see that. Some of them didn't come home. I'm and sure. and I, re- I really regret it to this day that I wasn't able to be there when they were going through that. Yeah. Um, How long was it from there that you ended up getting that first job? Uh, you mentioned it was it through the bank with the, with the mortgage. No, no, no. It was a uh, furniture, oh, the furniture, furniture. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. How long ago, how long after that was that job opportunity? I was doing it while I was, you were, it was all yeah. during that time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are you still co- uh, close with people that you connected with in the Marines? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still talk to probably four or five guys from my unit. Um, if not weekly, then every two weeks or so. Yeah. It's a true um, brotherhood. It's a true brotherhood. Yeah. You know, some of them, um, unfortunately took the dark road, you know, yeah. um, I'm a part of a, a nonprofit for veterans here locally. And, you know, we try to attack the uh, 22 a day issue, which is 22 Marines or not 22 Marines, 22 military personnel commit suicide every day. Mm. And uh, unfortunately I've had a lot of that from guys in my unit that just went into harm's way, couldn't get it out of their head. And they're, uh, they're in a better place. Yeah, man. That's sad. It makes me cry. Just me think about it. Cause I mean, obviously I appreciate your service, number one. So yeah. it, it definitely uh, means a lot. And if, I was going to say earlier that when you serve for the time that you did and you go through the Marine training, the length that you did, the idea of going without a paycheck for eight months probably isn't that big of a <laughs> big of a deal mm-hmm. when you could overcome what you had to overcome just to be in the Marine training in the beginning and, and begin with. But I felt the- bad for I felt bad for my wife during that point. Yeah. Um, we used to go to like the discount grocery stores and I'll never forget it. And it was bologna and you know and and bread yeah. for dinner and yeah. then peanut butter and then we get like the dollar 98 cereal boxes and whatever i mean our diet was complete crap but she she supported me and i i'm eternally grateful for that woman God bless. Um, get a great woman there she never complained once and it was awesome and and i don't forget and about it now that i've gotten to a level to where fortunately right. we're very stable and don't have to worry about those things but uh, I also don't forget about it. You know, that internal flame in me, I'll never allow it to go out. Yeah. And then Mike is a top producer. Those of you who don't know, I did, I checked it out earlier, did over 23 million last year in volume, over 55 transactions last year. What's been your best year in real estate so far? Do you know? Best year was 134 transactions and just under 35 million. Very sweet. 134 yeah. is a, that's an annual animal year right there, man. It animal. was, a, it was a lot. So I scaled back my volume intentionally. Yeah. I, I, I just realized that, um, I started looking around the landscape. Like I said, I, I'm kind of a real estate nerd. And I looked at other top producers that have been doing it for decades. And and I don't want to come across the wrong way, but I just you can see it on their face. It's just worn them down. Right. And the amount of time that you miss from kids' events, family events, because you, you can't Money comes and goes, possessions come and go. Yeah, the only thing that matters- You don't get that time back. Only thing that matters to me in this life is my wife, my kids, and my dogs. Yeah. It sounds like a country song, and maybe it is. But um, to me, that's what matters the most. So I work to live. I don't live to work. Mm. And so I want to make sure I, I cut that time out. Because when I was doing, there was like three years in a row, I think I did over 100 transactions, and I was burnt. Yeah, that's a I lot of work. And that was individually, burnt. right? That's not a team. 
I one mean, one year I, I started a team. Yeah. Um, the other two was me. Okay. And and I just sat back and I was like, I, I can't keep doing this because I'm neglecting the thing, the people that mean the most to me. For sure. And so for me, you know, at, at what point is enough enough? You know, in the world of real estate, you meet a lot of people. Yeah. My favorite people to work with are the blue collar. Um, whenever I work with, um, whenever I work with individuals for the most part, and this isn't all of them, but, but a good majority, it's never enough. I mean, I've worked for people that are hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, mega mansions, things like that. And they're miserable because they, their work dominates their life. Right. And they can never focus on things like, you know, Hey, you got that, you know, whatever. How often do you take it out and drive it? Ah, it's been six months. Right. Was that your dream car? Yeah, it sure was. Mm. Not not the dream anymore, huh? Right. It's yeah. just, I mean, how many dollars can you have to the point that's going to replace the experience of, you know, for me, there's, I'm sure for you, you're, you're a family man as well. Yeah. I, I can remember vividly, as soon as I scaled my business back a little bit intentionally, um, the look on my kid's face the day we took him to Yellowstone. Yeah. We went, you know, it, it was really, really cool, but, you know, they saw snow. And then it was 80 degrees at the bottom of the valley. Yeah. And my kids were just loving it. And those, I wouldn't have done that two years prior. Right. And I would have robbed them from that experience and having that memory with their mom and dad. So to me, that's what means most. That's awesome. We just got back with my kids. We have five little ones now. And we um, just got back from Big Bear, California. And it was the first time that my oldest had experienced snow in Connecticut when she was young. She doesn't even really remember it that well, but she does vaguely remember it. But there was a massive snowstorm at Big Bear, and we were um, in a, a beautiful, um, basically, it wasn't a hotel, but like a sweet area, and them just playing out in the snow and having snowball fights and snow angels. Greatest and thing ever. It was memories that I'll never forget. And they, yeah. they had uh, going down the, 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 the hills with the sleds, and we didn't even bring like enough snow gear, so we had to go out and buy boots and, and buy mm-hmm. everything right there. But it was just a, a story and a memory that as a dad, something that you cherish, you know, that in, it was from a business sense, not the best timing because we had a lot of new stuff happening with real producers, and it could have very easily had, had to postpone that trip, but it just was not going to happen. And, um, you know, you're right. That's really what it's all about is yeah. working so that you can fuel your life. And so you have two kids. Is that true? Two boys. Yeah. Two boys. One's graduating high school this year. One is uh, graduating next year. And, uh, thank God, both of them are smarter than me. Are they going to follow your footsteps in the real estate game or I don't know. I, I give, I'm giving them the freedom to choose whatever they want to do. Um, for me, I didn't find real estate until mid thirties. Yeah. Um, and I do wish I had an interest earlier. I'm sorry. Do they have an interest? I think my younger one does. Nice. You know, my, my older one, um, I'm not even sure what he's into. Yeah. You know, he's just like the, he's just a super like just sweet kid. They're both into video games and all that stuff, but they both are, you know, 4.0 plus GPAs. Nice. Uh, the younger one wants to go to university of Florida. Nice. Uh, go Gators. Um, and, it's about and to say your wife must've done something right with a high GPA. I don't think it didn't come from you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, they, you know, we've, we've fortunately raised, uh, I would say very responsible kids. Um, you know, really responsible, very respectful, which is the most important to me. Sure. And uh, to me, that that's winning in life. What are you know, some of your favorite things to do? What keeps you guys busy? Um, as a family or me individually? Family. Both. So, Both. As, okay. So, so as a family, I just love traveling. Yeah. Uh, for me, we, we discovered um, our family niche about eight, nine years ago, which is we go places that we can ride horses in the mountains. That's cool. So took my kids riding through Montana, um, I like to RV also rent an RV and drive through places. Uh, the, I think the best vacation we ever went on was in February of 2020. 
when the first mention of the pandemic mm. came up. Um, and, and part of what I did in the Marine Corps was uh, logistical planning in the Pacific Rim. And I had to be extremely observant of everything around me. So if any, you ever talk to any of the ladies that are in my office, like I'll notice they got their hair redone before their husband does yeah. or their nails or they bought new shoes. Or, I'm just really observant about things. So I looked I would at my, imagine attention to detail is rather important in the Marines. Yeah. 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 Makes life, sense. life or death. So Makes sense. So, um, so I looked at my wife and I said, you know, I think they're going to shut down air travel. Let's get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. And she's like, are you serious? I'm like, I think they're going to shut it down. Yeah. So we took the last flight before they started doing the COVID swabs into Alaska. Wow. Rented an RV and for 12 days drove through Alaska. Everywhere. It was so cool. That's awesome. We were the only tourists there. And we went, we did what's called the figure eight where you start in Anchorage, you go all the way up uh, to Denali in the North pole. And then you go down to like Homer and Seward and the fishing villages and all that stuff. Nice. In 12 days, Every town we stopped in, people were like, oh, you're tourists. Where are you from? Well, we're from Florida. How did you know? Well, you got a rental RV and Alaskans don't drive that. <laughs> so um, we had people offering, oh, come in my plane. Just give me the money for fuel and I'll take you to the top of a mountain. We'll, let, we'll land on a glacier. I'll take you to, uh, we went to an island off of Kodiak and we were literally 30 feet away from hundreds of grizzly bears. I got great. I First, I wow. looked at the guy. I go, do you have a pistol? I go, I'm a hunter. Do you have a pistol? He <laughs> goes, you don't need one. What I didn't know is that the hunting guides in Alaska if a grizzly bear runs at you, you run right back at it because all they understand is aggression. You do that with everything except for a sow with cubs. Huh. And and I looked at the guy go, you are out of your damn mind. Yeah, I don't know how uh, <laughs> brave I would be in that moment because grizzly bears, I, I'm sure you've seen some of the Joe Rogan podcasts. He oh, seems yeah. like he goes on a big grizzly bear. Uh, you know, he, lately he's been talking a lot about these grizzly yep. bear incidents. And uh, there are some mean sons of guns, man. I don't know if I would be able to just chase one down. They, they are. Uh, yeah, I mean, they... I'm not going anywhere near them right. unless I have a very high-powered weapon. Right. Um, but uh, going back to your question, you know, favorite things to do. So traveling with the family, to me, um, we have a really adventurous family. You know, uh, we've they've been so great because I'm a complete nut job. I'll do anything, anytime, anywhere. Uh, we jumped off the Swiss Alps, like with parachutes. You just run and then you just jump off. Nice. And my kids are sitting there and I'm like, holy cow, this is pretty cool. Until I realize how cold it is up there. Right. <laughs> um, so so that kind of stuff was fun. For me personally, I love to fish. I grew up fishing tournaments. Um, I, I fish. I go hunting uh, generally once or twice a year. You live in a good to- area for the fishing thing around here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I try, And that's another thing where I scaled my business back because I, I wanted to start going once or twice a week. Yeah. You know, um, I want to live life a little bit. So I'll block off time, usually early morning, you know, till like late morning, come back and then do my work in the afternoon if I right. need to, depending on what the workload is and how many listings I'm carrying at a time. Um, but I think you always have to carve out some of that, uh, that time just to kind of recharge your soul a little bit. For sure. Um, so, you know, fishing, hunting, sporting events. I love to do stuff like that. Um, and then physical fitness. I'm in the gym six days a week. Um, I take martial arts classes. So and it shows, bro. Looking good. Looking Thanks, good man. over there. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I started taking Krav Maga classes recently. It's been a while since a guy flexed their pecs at me, I must say. Hey, man. You know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little boring. <laughs> no, that's cool. So I have a couple kind of rapid fire questions. Uh, just again, to get a couple personal things out about you so Shoot. that the audience can learn more about who you are. Um, and then I'm sure we'll, uh, go over a couple final things here, but, uh, favorite movie. Do you have one? Mm, that's a tough one, but probably tombstone. Cause the doc holiday, that's classic. Yeah. I'm a fan of the movie as well. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, favorite food. 
Elk. Elk. I could I've eat, never heard that answer. I could eat elk every day of my really? life. Really? Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of elk around here. That's why I go hunt them once a year and I fill my freezer. Where do you go? Um, I've been to New Mexico, been to Colorado, I'm going to Utah this year. Okay. Um, generally, one elk will last about six months for my family. Interesting. And uh, So your freezer's loaded up with elk right now? Uh, no, no, not night right now. I probably got three steaks left. Okay. Um, right now it's filled up with uh, grouper, snapper, uh, <laughs> white-tail deer. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah no I doubt elk is the greatest meat on planet Earth. If you've never tried it, it's unbelievable. It's oh, way dude. better than cow. I did not know that. Now I have something I have to add to my list because I, um, when I was in college, I ate venison for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, and my roommate, I went to Liberty University at the time, freshman year up in Virginia. My roommate was a Virginia Beach guy, and his dad was a really hardcore Southern redneck hunter, right? And his refrigerator was nothing but venison, stockpiled, and then Miller High Life was the only two things in there, right? That that was the whole whole situation. But yeah, I ate a a crap load of venison when we were there, and I've had that at multiple places since, but never experienced elk, so... Venison is venison depends on where it comes from and how the meat is taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was never a hunter growing up ever. I had a mm-hmm. really, really good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Seth Perry runs a tinting company around here. Um, I moved on to acreage and he immediately called me because you bought a house in that neighborhood. I'm like, yeah, he goes, we're hunting. I'm like, dude, I, I don't hunt. I go, I, I look at, at, at Bambi and what he goes, trust me, <laughs> you're going to love it. He goes, especially being a, a military guy. I prefer to hunt with a bow and arrow. Yeah. I think it's more fair to the animal. I don't like to be 400 yards away shooting something. Right. Um, so I like the sport in it where you have to spot and kind of get up close to them or sit up, you know, climb a tree and all that stuff. But it's just like a primal thing. You know, you think of like when the cavemen had to hunt their own food and gather their own food. Totally. And and that's my, re- that's ultimately my retirement goal to either have a cabin up in like uh, Montana and just grow all my own vegetables and source all my own food and fill my own freezer and just kind of live off the land. Yeah. It's a little cold out there, so I may have to readjust the geographical position to where I want to live, but Montana to me is heaven. It's beautiful up there. I've I've spent some time at Big Sky before. It is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. There's something different about that part of the country, no doubt. And the people are different. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was really cool, very nice, and the air is Nobody's doing this. There's no cell phones at every restaurant you go to. There's no cell phones when the cowboys are coming by on their horses and doing what they do. It's just, um, to me, it's like going back in time. Yeah. Alaska was even further back in time than that, but Alaska is way too remote. I'm not ready I just for remember that. getting out of the airport and the air just felt different to me yeah. walking through Montana. I've never been to Alaska. It's on my list of one of the states I got to hit up. I actually, I might have to have you talk to my wife because I wanted to get her on board with this RV th- idea. I wanted to You'll do never do anything else. And I'm fired up to do it. We wanted, I want to take a summer trip. I'm a big sports guy. So I want to do like a trip where I can take the boys to like baseball stadiums all summer on an RV and just yeah. travel around the country. Um, she's not quite on board yet, but we're, we're getting there. The only hard part about convincing the wives to do RVing, and this is not all wives, but I'll speak from my experience is an RV shower. Yeah. Yeah. So for me in the military, I didn't care. I went for, right. You know, weeks at a time in the jungle without being able to shower. Yep. Um, (laughs) and in an RV, you basically hit it, you get wet, you lather up, you rinse off, you're done because you're limited on the water supply that's inside the tank. Yeah. And if mom's taking a 10, 15 minute shower, there's no water for anybody else. And then you got to go to a dump station to wash out the water and refill. Um, it, yeah, it, it kind of sucks. Tricky. That could get tricky. But it's the best thing that it's literally the best type of travel because it doesn't limit you. You know, you go on a cruise, you pull into port, you can only see what's at that port. No doubt. You're in an RV, you go over it. 
whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And, and, I, so, and I enjoy just driving. I enjoy just yeah. everything you see on the road. So, I mean, to me, that would that would be a blast. I'd have a fun with it. Do the South Dakota all the way to Montana. That's the best RV trip ever because you go through Wyoming, Montana, yep. Idaho. It's so cool. Yeah, no doubt. Well, there's so only cool. about 12 more states, I think. Maybe, I forget now. I think it's 12 that I have not been in yet in the U.S. And they're all kind of in that Midwest area. I've always flown over them and never really drove through them. So yeah. that, other than Alaska, is on the list. Favorite um, book or author or seminar that has made an impact on you personally or on your business? Probably author would be Dr. Ken Blanchard. Uh, he does all like the, yep. you know, who moved my cheese, stuff like that. Yep. Um, best book that I still read probably once a year is the millionaire next door. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a really basic broken down way of how to live, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, what was the other one? It was author book and, or a seminar, you know, anything that you might've attended that made a huge impact. You know, I've been to a lot of seminars. Uh, I've been fortunately fortunate to see both at the Remax R four thing, like Gary Vanderchuk, and um, I went when I was in uh, J.P. Morgan. I went to uh, they had Tony Robbins come in mm-hmm. and do the whole rah rah thing. I, I don't I don't get like a ton out of those things. I mean, they're cool. Yeah. I, I enjoy them. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have an answer. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that I Some have Some people one. haven't been to any, so yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Ask me about concerts, man. I'll tell you about like Metallica <laughs> in San Jose, Costa Rica. That was a fun show. That sounds like a story. We could probably have a whole podcast on just that. <sighs> wow. That was, that was different, but yeah. Um, question about obviously people who listen into this episode, some of them are already going to be top producers who are, uh, you know, just following what we do and others are agents that might want to become top producers. And sometimes we'll have somebody who's not even in real estate, but if you had to give one tip to an agent, I know you do are, you are in the process of building a team. Is that correct? Are you still building a team? Um, not really building, you okay. know, I've got, you have uh, a team now. I've got agents that I, that, that, that work with me that I refer business to, but I don't have a traditional, you know, team got it. Uh, kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. What would be, and I, ment- I, I mentor more agents than I than I ever had on a team or anything like that. So gotcha. sorry to cut you well, off. We are mentoring right now through this episode. So All right. if you had to share a tip, what's what do you think is the most important thing for an agent to do if their goal is to get to be a top 500 producer in real producers? What would be one tip? So one tip would be uh, learn by observing. Mm-hmm. I think that that is something that is desperately needed in the world of real estate. So my experience... When I started out, I learned by watching a team leader. I learned by watching individual agents that were in the office I was in at the time, but I also learned what not to do. Mm. You know, I started out at a, at a different brokerage in Palm Harbor and within two months, I'm like, I can't be a part of this place. You know, it just wasn't me. It didn't yeah. feel, it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, it could be a good fit for other people, but it's just not a good fit for me. So learn from observing because you can learn a lot just by watching. You can learn a lot by playing YouTube videos of uh, different real estate companies throughout the country, how they do it, how they market. Join every networking group that you can on social media. I have learned so much from agents that are in other states. You know, we talked about one from uh, Missouri, um, California, Colorado, a mega team agent out of Colorado. I used to talk to him every day for like a month Mm. and we would share ideas. He found me from the Forrest Gump video. And so he called me and he's like, dude, that was killer. What did you do? How did you write it? What did you do? And I said, well, tell me about how you scaled your team. Cause this guy was doing 500 million a year. Wow. And, and he was in like rural Colorado. He wasn't in like the glitzy million dollar area. He was doing a lot. Mm-hmm. And he had like 10, 12 agents on his team, stuff like that. I don't ever want to run one of those mega teams. I mean, God bless them, but let them, let them do what they want to do. Yep. Um, 
I don't want to do that. I'd rather, you know, have the time now that I've gotten to that point to where I can spend the time with my family, do what I need to do, sell as many houses as I can, but still provide that individual attention um, that I want to, that I want to be able to provide to all my clients. No doubt. Uh, so for new agents, um, I think learning by observing is key. Whether observing it's finding and, a team that you can fit in with culturally, you know, yeah. that you're comfortable with, and there's at least somebody in there that you know can take you under their wing sure. and be able to show you the ropes, right? And it, be able to, you got to be persistent. Build. And then the one, the hardest part for me of, of the observing side of thing was put your pride aside. Mm. I'm a very prideful person and I'm a very confident individual. Yeah. And, and that's something that you have to put aside when you are in the learning process. You know, if I came to learn how to run a magazine, I'm not going to walk in and be like, Don, you're screwing this whole thing up, man. You got to do this, 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 right. You got to sit back. You got to observe and you got to, you got to absorb that information because right now we're in the age of these things where you can just sit there, click, I want it, click, I want it, click, I want it. People's attention spans are incredibly short. Yep. And so, you know, for me, I'm very out there. I can talk a lot, but I also know when to shut up and I know when to listen. And if, if you ever see me quiet, that means I'm learning. Yeah. You know, at your, at your, uh, whiskey cake, um, the commercial one we did most recently. Yep. I don't think I said a word the entire time, which yeah. is hard for me, by the way. <laughs> but the panel that was up there, I mean, you had Alan Crumley. You want, I, I know the names. I'm just trying to think. They were 40 years in. They were 40 years in, 30 years in, who used to work for Alan. Mm-hmm. The other guy that was like 25, 30 years in. Yep. And then I was just sitting there. I was like, wow, there's so much experience on that panel. Yep. And then I, I looked around. And I look around the room at times and I'd see people having sidebar conversations that went there to learn. I'm like, you're not going to learn. Or they're in their phone. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I get it. Take advantage of those opportunities because that's what they're there for. Yeah. It's good advice. hundred percent, man. I'm going to end with this. This is one of my favorite questions. I think you get some interesting answers, which is at some point, of course, your real estate, even though this is a business that you might never leave. Right. Um, but at some point, I think we all tend to care about what legacy we're forming, right? Mm-hmm. What do we want to be known for uh, when the end of our days does come? What's most important to you, Mike, about what you want to be known for, whether it's in the business or maybe it's not even business related, but what's what's the type of legacy that matters the most to you? Um, that's a deep question, man. I know. Um, you know, for me, I, I just, I went to lunch with a, a, a title guy two hours ago before we came in here. Um, I always joke that, you know, on my tombstone, I want to say at least he wasn't boring. You know, I, I like to leave a positive impact wherever I go. If I'm walking in my office, everybody knows that Mike's in there because I like to go in joke around, try to make everybody's day better as good as I can. Um, as far as a, you know, a, a legacy goes, you know, all I can think about is if you've ever watched the last lecture, yeah, um, it's a great book too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the last lecture, um, from Dr. Randy Pausch, he always said, I want to be a Tigger, not an Eeyore. Mm. And I think about that every single day because you see how people can suck your energy away when they walk in and it's like, my deal fell through. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen. And I'll just sit there and be like, you know what? Today's a great day. You know what's good? Is now you got time to spend with another client. No doubt. How good is that? Or what did what happened during that deal? Now you can learn from it so you don't repeat that same mistake. Even if it wasn't your fault, maybe it was the other agent, maybe the client did something, but you can always find ways, you know, and through that, for me, legacy wise, be a Tigger, not an Eeyore. 
I love that. Um, You're definitely no ER, Mike. You have a lot I'm of energy when you come to the room. There's no doubt about it. And I, and I never will be an ER. I will leave one tip um, um, not related to your question here that I think is invaluable. Okay. And this is going to be for top producers and this is going to be for the, the brand new ones. The one thing that you can never do is sacrifice your respect for yourself in this world, in this industry, in this world, anywhere. So I learned from one of my masterminds with agents across the, the, the country, we started developing like, you know, um, at what point do you stop a client if they're being disrespectful towards you? Because I've walked into listing appointments where one of the spouses is just flat out nasty. Yep. Or even if you're under contract and you're, you know, you represent the seller and just because you work for them as, as a listing agent doesn't give them the right to disrespect you. So we came up with, you know, a, a way to combat that. And this is where masterminds are amazing. So if I ever get somebody that I feel is crossing the line, I simply close my laptop if it's open, put it in my briefcase, put it on my shoulder, and they look at me like, what is he doing? And I just look and I say, you know what? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. It's my fault. I gave you the impression it was okay to talk to me like that, and I'm letting you know that it's not. Mm -hmm. When you're ready to have a conversation that's respectful and talk about the sale of your home or whatever we're talking about at the time, I'm more than happy to come back. Have a nice day. Mm -hmm. It's not rude, but what it does is that the spouse that was being rude is now going to hear it from the other spouse. Sure. You were so rude. That was embarrassing. I can't believe you did that to him. (laughs) And then it turns into a more cohesive and productive relationship with the client. Right. Now, on the flip side of the coin, if they can't get past that, that's not somebody I want to work with anyway. And I know it's hard for a new agent to say to fire clients and stuff, right? but it's a good feeling when it's somebody that's just really, um, uh, I would say they, that they occupy space inside of your head. You know, when you're trying to go to bed at night and be like, God, that person's such an idiot that when I'm trying to relax at night, I want to think about my family and what's good in life. And, and you know, those kind of things. I don't no want to be sitting there thinking, man, that guy was an idiot. Cause now, now they own me. Now they're inside my head. So I'm sorry. It's my fault. Yep. I've had similar approaches with different business. It's all about positioning really. And the way you positioned yourself is that your time is just as valuable as theirs, right? You're there to serve, you're there to help, but you're not there to be below them. It sets the boundaries too. In any way, shape or form. So I love it. Great tip. We're going to, I guess, end on, uh, on that note, but I always try to end every episode with um, this thought, which is, What's one action step that you could potentially take? Maybe an idea that you heard Mike talk about today, which could be video. Maybe you're somebody who's been thinking about video, but you just haven't pressed that play button for some reason because you're too intimidated to do it. Just press the button, do a video right now, get it out of the way, get one under your belt. Maybe it's somebody you have to find a mentor or a coach. You got to reach out to somebody you've been wanting to talk to. Maybe it's Mike. I'm sure he'd be willing to have a conversation with anybody uh, who wants to reach out to him. But what's just one action step that you can take after listening to this episode that can help you become a real producer and uh, set you in the right direction for the next 12 months. So stay classy, Tampa Bay. Thank you for your time here today, Mike. This was a joy. And I'm sure we'll see you at a bunch of our events, hopefully, uh, in the near future. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. We'll check you later.